Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You are listening to the Glass Cannon Network, the premier source for role-playing game entertainment. Welcome to Cannon Fodder, a behind-the-scenes look at the Glass Cannon Network. What is going on, Nash? Welcome back to Cannon Fodder. It is Wednesday, March 15th, 2023. The Ides of March. And I'm your good buddy, Joe O'Brien. And I'm Troy LaValle. Got nothing, huh? Nope. Ice cold. Yeah, I, I didn't have anything. I didn't want to force it. Don't force it. You really shouldn't. We were just talking about this before we went live. Stop trying to be funny. Stop trying to be funny, All other right, podcasters. O'Brien. You're not. Because <laughs> you're not. <laughs> funny happens by accident. Yep. Lesson one of today's show is when you're sitting around in your home game or somebody, a GM asks you to come in for a one shot and make a character, don't try to be funny. It's not going to be funny. It's going to nope. suck. But if you just go in trying to be good and have a fun time, funny will happen. Funny will out. Right? That's true. You can't force it. You can't. Um, but uh, unless you're really good. <laughs> we got a buddy who uh, he's the king of just like constantly riffing. Constantly. constantly like he's just throwing out zingers. I mean, it's just when you hang out with him for 10 minutes, it's nine and a half minutes of just on, 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 bit, 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 bit. When bit. you hang out with him for 10 minutes, you are out of breath after 10 minutes. And you, you haven't even spoken. But you're just like, oh, my God, I'm trying to figure out what's funny, what's not funny. Like, you're trying to decipher all of the amazing bits that have been thrown at you. The thing is, though, it's so out of that nine and a half minutes, there's usually like seven to eight minutes of funny. That, and, But they're happening so fast that the, the bits that don't land don't – you don't have time for them not to land because the next one's already come in. This has been my thing for, <laughs> with you for years about Family Guy. This is why I'm not a huge Family Guy fan. It's because I feel like when the average joke comes every eight seconds, it's just like I, I have a hard time enjoying myself because I'm too busy thinking about how good the last joke was. I can't even understand this joke. Uh, it's just it's just too much for me. Welcome back to the FOD, everybody. We've got news coming at you this week, some fun stuff, including uh, I'm very excited about this week's Glass Cannon Labs. We are going to do a little bit of We Are Stupid, but uh, I think there's going to be a little bit more um, sort of uh, digging into the mind of the GM on that as opposed to just rules discussion because we're too busy getting Ooh. everything right. Yep. Troy, we, we don't make mistakes smart. anymore. Nope. We know this. We know this system down pat. We know the system down pat. Starting off with the news, uh, weekly studio update. There really isn't much there. Uh, certainly not much exciting. It's just the grind. Um, we're getting some stuff in, <laughs> some, some ductwork installed. We were talking about, uh, what needs to happen to the floor, the epoxying of the floor. 
area rugs. A really, really thrilling conversation. Sound dampening panels. Uh, there's been a lot of discussion about stuff this week and a lot of installations that are going to need to happen. But otherwise, yeah, things are just moving along. It's kind of the uh, worst part of the process, I think, because there's like so much that has to get done before the stuff that could even be remotely considered fun, which isn't even the real fun. Uh, <laughs> and right. I do, and we just, I mean, we have to do it, but like so much of it's like, God, these are huge decisions that we have to make and we all have to be there in person and we live far away now. Uh, it's, 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 it's a little stressful, but we, you know, we got to get it done. Um, I was talking yeah. to a friend of the show, Matt Jones, who helped me out with getting the trunk and uh, who helps Mr. out with getting the trunk Jones and me and Steve. And he also <laughs> helps out with uh, Alien. So I was actually talking to him about our Alien Labs show and what's coming uh, in two weeks. Not this week, but next week. Uh, there will be more Alien. So I was chatting with him about that, and I was telling him about some of the headaches I'm going through with the office. And yeah, he was just like, so uh, you're talking about project management. you know?" And, and he's just like, it's the worst. It's the worst. Because you, <laughs> it's all these things you don't know how to do. And the problem is, like, oh, yeah, well, just hire somebody that knows how to do that. Yeah, but you also don't know who to hire. You know, right. like you don't know, A, who's good or who's a con artist, especially in the world of contracting in New York City. And you don't know, uh, especially when you're dealing things that are like safety issues. You know, we were talking about lighting rigging and stuff. It's just like you need to have somebody you could trust that's going to hang stuff over your head. Did you talk kill about, you. Did you talk about this last week? Like we, we ha we're, we're, we're creating a lighting grid above the recording space. And so we've got a contact of someone who we thought was going to do all of it. But no. no, no, no. They just hang the lights once the grid's installed. Well, who installs the grid? <laughs> right, exactly. You keep coming back to like, who watches the watchers? It's it's like this meeting I had with the lighting guy this week. We got uh, a line on a great lighting guy and I was really excited and he he gave us a quote for an installation and I was like, oh man, this this fits in our budget. This is and great. this guy's like a celebrity lighting Yeah, designer. he's like got a ton of experience in New York City, theaters all over the place, Broadway, whatever. He's done all the TV shows, like all this stuff. I'm like, this is going to be great. And I get on the horn with him and I'm, I'm in the office. I'm showing him stuff on FaceTime. And he's just like, well, I mean, I don't I don't install it into the ceiling. Like once the grid's there, I'll come in and hang the lights. I'm like, yeah, well, who installs the grid? Like, It's not going to be skid. Skid's not growing up there on a ladder. I'm not sitting underneath something that skid's <laughs> drilled into the ceiling. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, headaches galore, but uh, things are moving according to schedule, maybe slightly behind schedule, but uh, hopefully it all comes together really quick um, in the next three weeks or so. And we have, you know, more updates as we go along. I don't want to talk about that anymore. I want to talk about, can we talk about the tour? You on. have given me nine major tour updates in the last 48 I know, hours. I what know. can you I, talk about with Dinesh? Well, there's a chance that the first tickets, I mean, there's a chance by the time this pod drops on Wednesday that the first tickets for April will already be on sale. But I don't feel right talking about it just in case they haven't. I could say, I mean, I guess I could say what state we're coming to because it's pretty much locked in. What do you think, Joe? Should I say it? Absolutely. I, I don't see why. What do you mean it's pretty much locked in? Is it not locked in? We signed well, a contract. I'm always worried until those tickets go on sale that, like, uh, you know, something could fall through the cracks. But I think we're I like to in. give people a heads up because we're already coming down to zero hour. They should know if they live in this area that we're, we're, we're trying to come. Got a little next, more than a month. In, yeah, in the next five weeks. Um, so April is, April is booked. Uh, May, we're, oh man, May is a fucking labyrinth. Uh, that I'm, I'm going through this 
bit of a war uh, with our booking agent, who's a very close friend of mine, groomsman at my wedding, and we will no longer be friends after we <laughs> this year is finished booking the tour. Um, June is booked. June is fucking amazing. Uh, August is all set. September is all set. But let's talk about next month. We are making a new stop to a state that we've never come to. What? Uh, and that state is the state of Colorado. Colorado! Colorado! Yeah, I'll be scoping out places. That is the number one place on my wife's list of states she wants to live in. She wants to live in Colorado. Did you know that? Fun Are you going to move her and the kids out there while you stay and uh, continue to build this empire? Mm -hmm. now They're all going to learn to ski, and I'll, I'll stay here in the recording. Northeast. The stinky, smelly Northeast, overcrowded. <laughs> Colorado's a paradise! Yeah, it is nice. It gets a little cold in the winter, but I'm fucking psyched. I've, yeah. uh, I've only been there once, and it was very, very quick for my old tailgate show that I worked on. Uh, so I'm really excited. We've wanted to do this for a while when we knew that Canada – was going to have to be delayed. It was a quick pivot uh, to Colorado. And so, yeah, I mean, like I said, by the time this pod drops, there's a chance tickets are already on sale, if not by the end of the week, so that you'll have more than a month uh, to sell this shit out so that we can come back every year. Stay posted or stay close to our website and our social media for the, the announcement of that on sale, which, yeah, maybe even happened today um, for Colorado. Get excited. Durango, Colorado. We're coming to Durango. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. The, the joke Colorado. is kind of like, well, where, if, why do you have to say Colorado? You know where you're going in Colorado if you're going to Colorado. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. But all right. We'll just, we'll, 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 we'll keep the lip sealed. What about the other ones? Nothing else? You got nothing else for the people? I'm not ready. You can't give them states? I'm not ready. But June, we locked in. We cleared the dates in June. The way it works is like, once you pick a, a city that you want to go to and you pick a venue that you like, you say, I want that venue on that day. And then our, 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 our manager will be like, well, there's nine other bands that have uh, that on hold. That's, and, and that, by the way, is not an exaggeration. <laughs> Sorry. And you're like, all right, so we're, we're the ninth hold. Um, well, we want to book it. And be like, all right, let's see if we clear the holds. And now so we have to that, call eight bands. Right. And that venue will call and be like, are you guys ready to commit? No. All right, let's go to number seven. Are you ready to commit? No. Are you, you? And if you clear all of those. Right, right. And you don't forget that like when you call number seven, number seven's like, ah, ah, Johnny, we go way back. Can you give me 24 hours on this? Like, <laughs> I got to check with the, I got to check it. You know what I mean? And then it just keeps getting pushed and keeps getting delayed. And uh, But we cleared both of the. Both of the June dates, which is very exciting. We cleared our, our August Indianapolis dates. Man, Indianapolis. I, I'm going to need a whole podcast dedicated to what's going to be happening at Gen Con. This is my – it's on my list today is to, as a Gen Con update. I mean – Let's pivot. Let's pivot. Let's pivot to Gen Con uh, because – Let's Jeremy a couple, pivot. A couple things are locked in, right? A couple that things we can, are locked That in. we can at least tease. Yep. We're gonna we're gonna have the booth. Um, right now, it's gonna be the same size booth as last year, which uh, is a real uh, wrinkle in the penis, as they say. Because <laughs> uh, I was all excited to do something else, but uh, who knows? We could we that could uh, that could change by the time the uh, con comes around. But we're gonna have the booth. There's gonna be programming in there from 10 a.m. till 6 p.m. every single day, 10 to 4 on Sunday. Uh, we have pitched and uh, two two shows to be at the con itself and. And both those shows have been accepted for submission. We should know about that pretty soon. And then we're going to have two shows outside of the con, one of which will be Glass Cannon Live, and the other will be something new. 
We already said this on fodder, so you've given them no news so far. I t- did I talk about the shows that we pitched? Uh, I, I think we said we pitched shows. Yeah. The the update is that they've been advanced. So yeah. basically, Gen Con reviewed them and said, okay, you can now go to the next stage uh, before final approval, which should hopefully come in soon. Because we got those in at early submission. There's like yeah. an early submission deadline. We got those two shows in. We have no reason to think they won't be accepted, but we won't talk about them here just so that we don't get people's hopes up in the uh, uh, um, unlikely event that they are not approved. But we think they'll get approved. I think they'll get approved. One, I think, is for um – let me see. I think one is for Friday afternoon. Does that sound right? Yeah. One for Friday afternoon and one for Saturday night. Saturday um, night at the con. Yeah. I say Saturday night, Saturday at 6 p.m. Cause we want to go out and have fun Saturday night. Um, so one for Saturday at 6 p.m., which means we'd have a show Thursday night, Friday night and Saturday night. And then one show at the con Friday afternoon. Uh, again, I don't want to say what they are just in the unlikely event that we don't get them because people will start creaming in their jeans when I tell them what, uh, these shows are at the con. But this, this one that's going to be happening Friday night is going to be at a much bigger theater because the Thursday night show is going to be Glass Cannon Live. That's going to be at Helium. That's pretty much, uh, set in stone. But the Friday night show is going to be at a new theater that is a much larger theater. They're going to be, uh, cheaper tickets and it's going to be a whole different experience with hopefully, uh, some special guests. But again, that's uh, between now and then that show is going to take shape. We want to do something that's like, that'll attract people that may not know us that maybe don't want to drop, you know, 40 or 140 on the VIP, um, to try and, uh, expand our, the awareness of the brand a little bit more and do something fun with some of our friends. Um, something different from Glass Cannon Live. Yeah. Because once you're 70 episodes, 70 plus episodes into a campaign, guests become hard. It's hard to just slot someone in and, and have the same good time. So let's take this opportunity to maybe do something a little different and make it uh, a fun one night kind of thing for everybody. So that that's the idea. And I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. And we'll be at the booth a lot more. You know, last week was very, very hectic, but the plan is to have like time set up when we're going to be at the booth so we can meet and greet with people and, and chat. Um, it's so fucking hectic. We're running games constantly. If we're not running games at the booth, we're running games somewhere else. We're playing in games and then we got our night shows, not to mention countless meetings. Um, I'm aging just thinking about it, but I was on the Gen Con website today doing some work and, uh, I'm, even though it's five months away, I'm so fucking excited. I get so excited when I, like giddy when I think about Gen Con. Well, speaking of, um, um, uh, games that I, you know, that we're going to be programming in there, I am going to throw a, I'm just going to throw a, a hat in the ring here and, and a potential guess of uh, a game that you don't know yet that might show up in that oh. booth. And that's this week's Glass Cannon Labs game. As I dig into this game that we're going to be trying out tomorrow <laughs> on Glass Cannon Labs, 2 o'clock Eastern, uh, called Trophy Dark, I'm like, this is so amazing for a Gen Con booth. It is wildly awesome. And I think that you're really going to love it. I don't know if you'd love playing in it. You don't love games anymore. Right. But it is a wonderful uh, layout that is very Blades in the Dark in its style in terms of uh, how the die roll works and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, success with consequences, whatever, all that kind of stuff. But I just want to uh, tell you about one part. So 
this is something that Matthew Cabotacaza brought to the table. Matthew is going to be running this tomorrow, Thursday, March 16th, 2 o'clock Eastern at twitch.tv slash theglasscannon for myself, Skid, and McD. We're going to do kind of like an intercompany uh, little tester of this game. And That's see- funny. I, I messaged him this morning. Well, this is, we're recording this on Tuesday, obviously. So I messaged him on Tuesday morning to be like, all right, finally finalize the cast. Uh, here it is. And he's like, ah, oh, man, this is great. I'm so excited. He's like, I think you'd really like this game. We should play it again because I think you'd like it. And I said, yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you something that I think will get you geeked up and I want the audience to get excited about this as well. The basic premise and the basic concept is that it is a classic sort of sword and sorcery style game with the exception that In most games, you are considered, you know, you are expected to go in, defeat your enemies, get the treasure, and head home rich and famous and and with all the glory. And this game sets out to say, no, what happens is you are a pathetic, greedy treasure hunter that – not pathetic in um, (laughs) – pathetic in its true meaning of just like it's just sad that you have to expose yourself to this kind of risk just to get these kind of things. Put your life on the line for money. It's a sad thing to do. And when you uh, really dig into that this game brings out the best of it because you essentially do not come back and no one ever survives it's sort of the 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 vibe that i get from it and what you're telling is the tale of uh these uh desperate people uh, that end up biting off more than they can chew and there's one thing that i I wanted to read you that I just read before we connected for fodder. And it's just giving you an outline of the world and the gameplay. And it says there are two things that you can fight in uh, that you can come up against in game folk and monsters. Folk are people, sometimes strange or magic using people and normal animals. They can be fought and removed with a risk roll. The risk roll is the lifeblood of the game. It's when in Blades in the Dark, you say, all right, I'm ready to roll. I roll 2d6 and four or five is a success with a consequence. Six is a pure success, whatever. That's a risk roll. They say Mm -hmm. risk rolls are the, the lifeblood of the game. Next paragraph, monsters are something else. They relentlessly serve the forest and cannot be defeated. By mere treasure hunters. If you attempt a risk roll to incapacitate or kill a monster, you will die. That's, (laughs) that's the line. That's it. So, I mean, I am so excited to get into this. So what they say is like, instead, your risk roll needs to be a roll to hide, a roll to escape, a roll to use a ritual against it. You know, like you could do everything but kill it. You cannot kill it because it is a capital M monster and monsters (laughs) are not killable, which is such a great concept to go in with, you know? So anyway, that's. That's the basis of it. There's a lot more uh, little like fun narrative mechanics that go into it about how the players can bargain with each other for horrible things to happen to each other's characters and stuff. I mean, it's going to be really fun, and I I, I suspect it might uh, show up in the booth. That's all. Well, they've uh, got a healthy marketing budget. It might. <laughs> yeah well uh maybe if uh, people love it on labs come on buy a bunch of copies give them give these nice folks at trophy dog some money <laughs> they made they made a really cool game um yeah it just it just fits the one shot thing really well so join us for that and then remember that next week that is march 23rd thursday march 23rd and i'll mention this again on the next vod alien is going to return with its true episode one since uh we did character creation last time and character creation was amazing uh yeah it's going to be a really really fun show so hang out for that um all right That's i'm sweet. good on news actually i did want to check in with you on uh on dark souls because you sort of and skyrim <laughs> you kind of took a break when you had a baby and then right. suddenly you were back on and you you had some time to stream and i was curious where are you 
I'm back, baby. Uh, so the, I'm having so much fun doing this. I, this was one of my like, uh, side New Year's resolutions of like, I want to start streaming in the employee lounge. I think it's a lot of fun. It gives you that, that great one on one time with the nation who like to hang out and watch Twitch streams. It's, and it's also just like scratches an itch for me because our work is mostly fun, but very stressful. And so this is a way to kind of, I mean, I don't have to tell you, you stream all the time. Uh, so I wanted to do Dark Souls, uh, maybe Platinum Run because it's the only Soulsborne game of the originals that I didn't platinum and then uh, just fuck around in Skyrim. And so I'm up to the painted world of Ariamis. I've been soloing every boss fight, no uh, summons, and it has been an absolute blast. I'm not one to go back and play old games and I'm just shocked at how much it holds up and how much fun we're having. Because honestly, we're all having a blast, the people in chat as well. So I play that usually how on Monday or Tuesday. did you fight Ornstein and Smog? six or seven, I think. Well, that's not bad. Yeah. I'm like, I'm in the zone right now. Also, because playing Dark Souls 2, 3, yeah, and yeah, Elden you- Ring, and uh, Demon Souls Remastered, and Sekiro, and Bloodborne. Like, you're just, <laughs> now I go back to this. I'm like, these guys are fucking king. I remember the Four Kings fight being like, I just summoned 20 people to come help me do that. <laughs> and I still just stood in the back while they did all the work. And I mean, we, we've been having a lot of fun with it. So I'd say I'm probably about 60, 65%. I just finished the painted world of Ariamis. Now we're in the Duke's archives. Uh, oh, I love the Duke's archives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a good chance I'm playing that today, which by the time this comes out will have been tomorrow. Uh, and then Fridays, I've been doing Friday Skyrim. And that has been a revelation because it's a game. I have no plan. I usually yeah. have plans with games and I have no plan other than to just explore the world with this character. And it has been. So much fun. You know, and I miss that. To me, that is the exact opposite of what I'm dealing with right now in the torture of streaming Dead Space. (laughs) Dead Space is the exact opposite of Skyrim in that Dead Space is a beautifully designed, amazingly built game that is so innovative in the shit that it has and it makes you do that it feels it feels like such a real like space horror exploration thing, the mix of zero G, the mix of needing pressure suits and no oxygen. And, and it's so much fun, but it is so intense. Like when I finish a game <laughs> session, my heart is pounding out of my chest. My palms are sweaty. I'm just like, oh, I don't even know if I enjoyed that. Like I'm just so <laughs> exhausted and horrified as Skyrim. I remember Skyrim. It's just so relaxing. And so peaceful because there's just no real stakes, you know, like you, yeah. you, you die, you could just reload anything. You could save at any second. You could save just, in the middle of a fight and come back in the middle of a fight. <laughs> save in the middle of a fight. And it's just fun. And, and I like that about it. It's like, that's not, it's not trying to give you the most intense experience. It's trying to let you tell any story you want to tell and at the pace you want to tell it, which is great. I mean, so the last one was last Friday and I logged on. It was the first time I'd logged on in a few weeks because Evie was born on, on a Friday, which is normally when I stream. I was like, where the hell are we? And we, I had like, I, I was trying to make my way to the college of the magical college of Winterhold. And basically it's going to take a year to get there. Cause if I see a cave, I'm like, Oh, what's in that cave? And that's three hours of a stream. So this is what happened. I was like, Oh, what's going on over here? And so I went in and it was just like, like oftentimes it's a bandits have kind of taken control of an old, uh, you know, an old fortress. So after I cleared all the bandits, I start to turn the corner and there are these, those fucking, the Dwarmer machines, you know, the, mm-hmm. the dwarf machines are still going. The dwarves are gone, but they've left these little constructs behind. And so I start taking out a couple of those and then 
the adventure completely changes. Now there's no more bandits. The bandits have not made it this far into the, uh, into the ruin and it's just these machines and I am way under leveled for this. So I'm going back and forth with Chad. I'm like, am I going to just keep pushing through to do this or should I just turn around because I'm getting annihilated by these things? Well, anyway, we keep pushing through and coming up with tactics. I'm like, what if we try this? What if we do this? What if we pause it, send this guy out, close the door, throw this bomb, running away, jumping off, making them chase me around. We get all the way to the end and we ended the stream with me opening up this like ancient door where this this enormous, like 20 foot tall construct comes out. I have like no way of beating this thing, but next stream is going to be just me this Friday. Hopefully will be me just trying to defeat this construct. And it's so fun because as I'm going along, I'm like, Oh, look at there's, this must be what's happening here is that this part of the lore and this, uh, it, it, we're having a, we're having a blast with that. Yeah. I mean, it's genius because you know that that cave and that that Dwemer ruin is all part of a side quest that you get from some NPC somewhere to retrieve something in there or do something in there. And it's all mapped out, but it's there and it exists. And if you walk in there before talking to the quest giver, it's still all there. You can still explore it all. It's not like a level in traditional games. You know, they, they really did an amazing thing in 2011. I think it was with Skyrim. I just yeah. changed the whole landscape. And, and I can't wait for all I think about is, um, is Starfield. I think it's called, which is their next, like their science fiction yeah. setting game, uh, that's hopefully coming this year. Keeps getting pushed back. September, they said lately. Uh, uh, and I'm just going to dive into that. You know what? Good. I'm glad it's after Gen Con. Let, let's, let's, <laughs> let's make it be after Gen That'll Con. Be your gift so yourself. that I show up in Indianapolis. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's move it on to We Are Stupid. Uh, not much to be stupid about this week. Um, you know, there are a couple things that we said last week in the sh- in Cannon Fodder that we didn't correct this week, but that's just because those shows were recorded before we did that fodder. Uh, but we'll, we'll get around to, to all of that. Um, Eric, uh, Professor Eric throws out a, a compliment to you, Troy, uh, with keeping up with all of the, uh, how difficult it is to keep up with all the conditions on your monsters and, and, and NPCs and stuff like that, uh, to adjust those ACs exactly right so that you're making sure something is pr- appropriately a hit or a crit even, which makes a huge difference, uh, making sure that those values are correct. Matthew said something in passing, uh, that he could only throw his hatchet 10 feet and Professor Eric just points out. He can throw it further than 10 feet, but every 10 feet is a minus two to hit. That is something that was really from 1E2, and it kind of translates over in a way. So uh, we'll make Matthew aware of that. And we got the Animal Companion actions right this week, which is great. But one thing he dug into, and I I heard this, not at the time I heard it in my re-listen of the show, is the plus two striking Vorpal Scimitar, this weapon. Holy crap. Let's talk about that for a second. (laughs) One thing that Skid said in passing is that he believed the plus two striking meant that you get an additional two damage die. So you roll three damage die in addition to it being plus two to hit. That is not the case. Uh, perhaps Skid just sort of said something that we heard wrong, but Eric heard the same thing that I heard, which is that you add two additional damage dice. You do not. The plus two part is just the weapon potency rune. It only applies to the two hit. Weapon striking is either striking, greater striking, or major striking. And they are plus one damage die, plus two damage die, plus three damage die, respectively. So that's good to know. I didn't realize, because we've never played the game to that level, I don't believe, uh, of a greater striking rune. I never heard of that before. So a greater striking rune is going to be two additional damage die. 
So this uh, plus two striking Vorpal is going to be plus two to hit, one additional damage die, and then the Vorpal property. And he goes on to say the weapon is still an amazing boost at this level while they are in the Dreamlands. Plus two potency weapon potency room is a 10th level rune. We are seventh level. Vorpal is a level 17 rune. Yeah. Well, I, I said this on air. I was like, when you first came to the Caravanserai – that weapon was sitting right there and you guys just didn't go look for it. When I was a young, impudent GM a hundred years ago, I would be like, you guys sure you want to check that room? Check out that. You got to check know, out that. That's, that's Bush League GMing. Uh, you know, I didn't do it. You guys do want to check out that room. You lose that treasure. Um, but I was so glad that it was written in that like, if the PCs didn't find this Vorpal blade, the denizen of Lang Houndmaster uses it because now it's being used against you. You're being penalized for not finding it essentially, but then you still get it at the end. I was like, this is great because now you've got this weapon for the rest of your dreamlands adventure. Uh, you won't have it in the real world, but, uh, it's just a fun tool. Like how often do you get to play with a fucking Vorpal weapon? It is a good note. I want to do, I want to ask you a couple questions before we get out of here, but they are pretty deep questions um, regarding your GMing of this specific game. And also one of them can really apply to any game that anybody's running, whether it's D&D or Pathfinder. <clears throat> I've been struggling a little bit with the Dreamlands uh, in terms of um, my understanding of, of what they are. And I wonder if you could explain just from all of your reading, how, how you envision the dreamlands. And I don't just mean what you see when you're there. I mean, like, are the dreamlands, I, I always imagine them as, as, uh, about, about as solid as smoke, right? Like <laughs> that they could be constantly shifting and changing that the people and the psyches within them are constantly in flux and that there is no stability. But the more we play it, the more it seems like they're just another place, like just yeah. another land, just another plane. From your reading of it, how do you envision these the dreamlands and what they actually are when we are not adventuring in them? What is what is happening there? Yeah, well, I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Paizo even says that it like the dreamlands is a plane of existence that overlaps the ethereal plane. Um, if you get back into their like, if you if you're really into their lore books, you can read about like all the different planes, uh, plane of fire and the plane of this. And there's a, a hierarchy to the planes, though, in the way that they're organized. There is like a spherical nature to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, my con concept of the Dreamlands has changed a lot as we've continued to play in them. I initially thought of them as just like. Uh, more like a world of vignettes, like you would go here, and that you couldn't travel from Celefe to uh, where you met uh, Queviandra in uh, whatever town that was. Um, but now I realize, no, it actually is more like a world, but it's a world that is that follows the same, in my estimation, follows the same logic of dreams and that it's kind of highly mutable and protean. Um, there, there, there might be a straight line between two points, but it's probably, it probably works more akin to how dreams work. Um, but I, I initially thought that like, if you were, if you were in the area where the Viscount was, you couldn't just get in a car and drive right. to where that drug den is. I think you can. Now, now I'll get in a car, obviously, but you can travel there. And now there's something that will happen in this Thursday show that really solidified for me, a little spoiler alert for this show, and then how the, how Dreamlands travel, uh, works. I think it's a much, it's a much more, um, 
It's much more of a full world than just like spots, you know, any like memories, but it is composed. And I think it's constantly evolving based on the dreams of people in the material plane, like the dreams and the nightmares of people in the material plane Give, feed, give form to feed, the, populate and give form to the dreamland. Well, that's so strange though. So like, cause I, at first I thought of it the way you think of kind of inception, right? Which to me was like a mind blowing movie. And it, it's kind of like when we go into these dreams, whose dream are we in? Like if you're in the <laughs> dreamlands, do you always have to be in someone's dream? Even if it's not one of your party. No, I think you know what I mean. Does someone have go to be in, dreaming it for it to exist? You're in the the most recent collection of all dreams of all time since the beginning of time. Like these areas that have formed up and have become names, like the the Viscount's Kingdom. I think it was called Selafe. Um, you know that formed because all these dreams came together to form a city that is still growing. But now those dreams have been around for so long, it has formed this opulent city. Whereas other dreams have come together and formed uh, the, the the drug den town of, uh, I can't remember the, the names of these towns. And then the the Doom Idol of Ib, what was that city called? Uh, the anyways, one where they were having the party? The one where they were having the party, yeah. Sarkarth, Sarkarth, or something. Anyways, like enough dreams got together to start to form actual cities uh, over time, and now new dreams that come in may change it. But it would take a very powerful dream to completely wipe out that city. No, that city has already been formed. Are there like is there are there lords of the dreamlands like like creatures that or people or whatever that like only exist in the dreamlands and live there and are there all the time, whether you're there or not. Like, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I think like any adventurer, like some people become powerful enough to leave the dreamlands. Um, but some people are tied what to about that the plane. people that were at the party with the, the, um, the doom idol of Ib, for example, mm-hmm. are they all people that are dreaming that are asleep in the material plane or are they people that fully and only exist in the dreamlands? I think they're people that fully and only exist in the dreamlands. And when they died their their whole life was lived in the dreamlands and they died and they're no longer. How alive. are they born in the dreamlands? Uh, they could be. <laughs> I, I wonder, like, is it like an Adam and Eve type thing? Like the, the, the first dream created man and woman. Um, I, I imagine that that is kind of how it works, but you could also travel there and have a dreamland baby with someone that was created whose lineage goes back to an initial dream. Yeah. Wow. It's so weird. Right. Like now there are yeah. people that are just mating and having children. But like, if you look back at their, their family tree, it started with a figment of a dream. What about That's how the- I think of it. What about the literal history of the Dreamlands in terms of how it comes into Pathfinder? Like, is it or into Galarian? Because when you talk about the plane of fire, the plane of air, the plane of water, like these are things that pre-existed Galarian, right? In terms of literature. Uh, these are ideas that have been around for a long time and, and they were in other games, for example, and stuff like that. Like, is the Dreamlands, to your knowledge, something that – like I don't remember it being a plane ever talked about in my Pathfinder games until – this adventure like would did they did paizo create these dreamlands the idea of a plane of dreams like this i don't think so they may have named it that um but i think that it comes from lovecraftian stuff like the great old ones uh and and the outer gods when they came to earth or galarian million millennia before uh humans existed their dreams began to populate the dreamlands. You know, mm-hmm. if you read the call of Cthulhu, Cthulhu comes here with all his buddies, goes underground and sleeps. 
and his his dreams are so powerful that they create another plane of existence. And then other old ones as well dream and start to populate this world. But then flash forward millennia later and these these uh these outer gods still lay dreaming. Um other people, humans' dreams begin to populate the dreamlands as well. So it's a war it's a it's a plane that's populated not only by these alien intellects, um, but also humans that have come. So it's yeah, it takes on and, this and, whole and it, other thing. And it looks like it was created by Lovecraft. Like like the initial the idea lands, of yeah. something called the Dreamlands. And okay. But Lang, I feel like Lang I wonder if Lang was Lovecraft or if Lang was like Gygax and friends. Hmm. Yeah. That's because a good Lang Lang predates Paizo for sure. Um I did I did not I know rem- that. I remember uh, denizens of Lang. Unless I'm crazy, I feel like Lang goes back. And you can just see it in like Skid's reaction. It's like, oh, Lang, yeah, of course. Because he probably was right against Denison's Lang. He knew about it years ago, yeah. In the red box. But I could be wrong. Um, But the thing about Lang is like, that's a whole other, that's like a plateau in the dreamlands that has its own rules as well. And when a Denison of Lang dies, its body is reformed. On Lang. So it's very hard to actually kill one. So all these kind of, yeah, all these ones that you've killed, they're, they're just being reformed. And is there any way, I guess we got to figure out if there's any way to stop that cycle. Like, you know, uh, a, a lich is going to be reformed if you destroy it as long as it's uh, artifact or whatever it's called. It, oh, what's the word? It's, oh, I'm blanking lich? on the name. Um, Did you say lich? Yeah, it literally has a, a phylactery. Yeah, yeah, it's phylactery is, uh, is just, but if you destroy the phylactery, the lich never rises again. Is there something in Lang or something that you can destroy to prevent the re, reanimation? Uh, they can be killed rebirth? for sure. It's in yeah. the monster stat blocks on how to do it, but. Uh, oh, it's well, a tell tricky. me. Uh, no, I can't. This is off air. All right, you have to. <laughs> All right, you have to. Buy a Philly cheesesteak. <laughs> I can do that. All right, one more thing before we get out of here. I, and this is the one I, I was thinking. Uh, it came up in this week's episode, and I, I don't know if we've asked it before. I don't think I have specifically. But it has to do with survival checks, which I always think are a tricky one. And we've had an inside joke for a long time that whenever we roll survivor checks, you, you see tracks going every which way. And there was an yeah. instance uh, in this episode where you said there was just a mass of tracks all over each other, and you don't – you can't really read what's happening here, but I don't really feel like there. I don't remember if there was a role tied to it or a bad role. I certainly don't remember a bad survival role. My question for you is: when it comes to survival checks in general, strange aeons or not, um, you do seem loath to give a lot of information uh, based on a survival check, and I'm wondering if maybe you're being too stingy, and if if GMs should give like. A, a surprising amount of information on a really good survival role. Because even if you're only looking at tracks and you sort of mentally can only imagine tracks only telling you so much of a story, I feel like that the survival skill represents a skill beyond what we as like a, an ordinary human being and GM and not tracker can pull from that data. And that it could be a chance for some really good exposition. And I just feel like that sur- that doesn't exist in our games so much. Like, I, yeah. I don't feel like people roll a survival check and then are, like, aware of what they're about to encounter in any way that could get them actually prepared for it, even after a good roll. I don't know. Uh, is this making sense? 
Yeah, I think so. I think sometimes I'm better with it with, than others. I mean, obviously, when it says in the book, like, survival check, give them this information, that's easy. It's uh, it's going out of the box and trying to give you information. For me, I'm always worried about just giving out too much information um, or or leading you guys astray with irrelevant information. And then you guys get hung up on something just because I said it. Um, but, you know, I guess I could, like, be a little more forthcoming if you really – uh, roll a critical survival check or something, finding the hair of a creature in the next room, uh, and then being able to discern like, oh, this might roll a, th- this looks like it might belong to a b- blah, blah, blah. And then you guys could prepare a little bit more. I guess I could do that. Um, yeah, I mean, like for the for, moment, for, I'm like, if it's not, if, if nothing's coming to me, I just don't say anything. Yeah. I just, I feel like if, if there's like in this place, for example, um, where there were all those tracks like all over each other. I feel like there's a world in which it it'll, it just behooves you as a GM. Yeah, you give your players a little bit of, of an advantage, but they had a good role. And I feel like telling them a little bit of the story of what happened in this place. It's like, oh, there was a fight here. And, you know, you can tell from the way you're looking at it, it seems that there were multiple humanoid figures that uh, attacked a creature. Or, you know what I mean? Like giving them a little bit more detail than what you think you could pull out of an, even a good survival check. It just tells a story and it makes things more interesting than like, you can't tell. You can't even with a good survival check. Well, I, I just feel like that using that as an example that brought this up. Like I feel like I told you everything you needed to know. Like there, there wasn't a fight. It was just a lot of people. What does that mean? I thought the caravanserai was abandoned. Who are all these people? So that gets you thinking. Yeah, you mentioned this week that they were looking for something. Seems like people are like ransacking the place or yeah. whatever. Um, I feel like I'm giving enough. Maybe you guys need to have more internal discussion as to what my clues mean. Um, but do your clues have to be so vague? Are they? You know? Well, yeah. Could you say well, like there's a bunch of denizens of Lang? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but uh, you wouldn't know that. Like, unless you they could all Nikes. That's, that's well. That's what I'm saying. You could, right? Like, they yeah. could have a similar uh, style of boot that they wear. I don't know. <laughs> See um, the, the Nike swoosh. More than anything, I, I, I'm not arguing so much for adv- more advantage for players as much as I am more chance for exposition. Because what happens is you as the GM know this whole cool story that's happening in the background. The players don't know anything. And then eventually they come up against some somebody or some people and they just kill them. And and you don't really get the exposition. So this was all just a, a an idea to throw out there that like survival checks can be an opportunity for exposition that, yeah, it might allow the players to prepare a little bit more for something that you didn't want them to pair, prepare too much for. But it also could give a really good chance for exposition and and flesh out some of that really cool story that's happening. Yeah, I'm all of a of a I'm I'm all about like finding a way to give more of the story to you guys when it would otherwise be completely inaccessible yeah. unless you unless you find a journal that conveniently tells <laughs> right, the exactly. story. Just stick a journal in every room. Why the big bad became who who they are. Um so I'm all about that. And I I agree maybe survival is a way to do it. I think it's just how do you do it in a way that isn't too ham-fisted like you look at these tracks and you just feel like that guy hates his mother. <laughs> I know. I, well, I know it sounds funny, but there's like there there are ways to pull it off uh, that uh, you know because if you think about think about Sherlock Holmes, right? Like that's a good example. It's like yeah, it's all really well crafted like that, but it's all these minor minor details that uh, he as a character is immediately able to extrapolate into these things that you would think are. 
impossible to know from the data that you had, but he draws it all out, you know, by putting it all together. And I feel like that's a fun use for survival checks is to say all these minor details. And even if you as the GM don't know what they are, you don't have to go into each one. You could just say, there's just evidence here that leads you to believe that, you know, there was an assistant and there was, you know what I mean? Like there was somebody that was obviously subservient to somebody else who was told to do something. I don't know, like, uh, because you could tell this or that, um, I don't know. It's just uh, it's it's an interesting way to use the the skill that I think doesn't get enough love in our games, uh, and in, in mine either. I feel like I, it's it's a hard one to to utilize well. We want to give those skills some love. Uh, I did some digging here while we were talking, and the Plateau of Lang was a creation of Lovecraft. So I guess it's possible it was used in original D anD D as they were borrowing from other um, mythos, but. Uh, it's also possible that it's it's been incorporated into gaming recently. Hmm. Um, but yeah, this, it's it's all Lovecraft. Everything's Lovecraft. Everything's Lovecraft. Um, okay, well, uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week's FOD. Thank you guys so much for uh, for hanging out with us, uh, Troy. I'm assuming you've got nothing else, right? You're ready to say goodbye to the, to the peoples. Yeah, I mean, I guess I I like to give teases. You know, there's been a lot of talk. Um, about why aren't they using such and such a tool or such and such a tool? We get that a lot. Like, why aren't we doing this? Well, there's a reason for that. Uh, we uh, we have to build relationships with different people and, and make sure that it's going to be the right fit for us. However, we are uh, in the midst of working out some pretty exciting uh, deals with people that may begin to feature some of the products that uh, the Nash has been clamoring for for a what? long, long time. So just, what? just everybody chill. We're not a lemonade stand anymore. Just calm yourselves down. Uh, yeah, fun. So many fun announcements coming up. I mean, fodder is is a, a great way to discuss this stuff, and it kills me the things we can't talk about. But more will be coming soon. Uh, until then, have a great week, everybody. Enjoy Strange Ants tomorrow night. Come out and hang out for Trophy Dark tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow with uh, Matthew uh, Skid Eye and McD, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Colorado, Colorado. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Glass Cannon Network. For more podcasts and live streams, visit glasscannonnetwork.com. And for exclusive shows and content you can't find anywhere else, subscribe today at patreon.com slash glasscannon. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch, involved in a then-unheard-of secret organization called the Illuminati, and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. 
Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. <laughs>